Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Daniel Hunt of Ladytron. That's right, Ladytron have got a new record and they've got some UK shows happening. Um, and I got to catch up with Daniel um, from his hotel room. Uh, we have a lovely chat. We uh, we, we hit the sweet spot where we, we, we talk about lost records from the early 90s, which I'm sure if you're uh, fans of this podcast then uh, you know that that is my absolute joy. We talk about some wonderful records, of course, um, because, uh, well, it's Daniel from Ladytron. Of course he's going to have impeccable taste. Uh, before we get on with that chat, just like to do a few thank yous. I'd like to thank Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Uh, I'd like to thank Hotel Chocolat, and I would like to thank the team at the Blue Murder Club podcast, uh, they produce this podcast, and uh, you should go and check it out. If you like true crime, then go and check that podcast out. I should also say, if this is your first time listening to Off The Beaten Track, hello, it's nice to have you here. Uh, you're well late, you're well late to the party, because we're, we're, we're 470 episodes in there. And uh, just to let you know that when you get to the end of this track, uh, this, this podcast, sorry, go and have a little explore in the back catalogue, because there's hundreds and hundreds of chats and you can hear me talking to producers like Butch Fig and Fatboy Slim. You can hear me talking to um, DJs like Paul Oakenfold, um, gosh, Darren Emerson. You can hear me talking to big rock stars like Tommy Lee and Motley Crue and the Foo Fighters and uh, as far as your indie bands go, well, I've had them all, I think. Uh, you can hear me speaking to the Killers, the Kaiser Chiefs, the Kooks, um, gosh, loads of them. Um, and in regards to actors, I've been really blessed to have sort of had these conversations with the likes of um, Maxine Peake, Joe Hartley, Michael Smiley, um, David Duchovny. Been really, really blessed there. And and comedians, I love a chat with a comedian. And uh, why not go and explore some of them chats with the likes of Ed Gamble. Maisie Adam, James Acaster, um, the, the lit Jade Adams, the list goes on. Like I say, I'm missing hundreds and hundreds. Um, we talk about uh, shoegaze and, and, and synth pop on, on, on this episode today. Go listen to my chat with Andy Bell Ride, or you can listen to my chat with Heaven17. Um, yeah, go and, go and have a good old rummage in the archive, and I'm sure you'll find 
plenty of chats that you'll be interested to listen to. Um, and when you get there, subscribe. That really helps. Obviously, uh, these podcasts are all free. And so it relies on, you know, the word getting out and, and people listening. So if you can give us a like, love, share, a retweet on the socials um, or just follow us on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on, that really would would help. And if you're feeling like you want even more off the beaten track and you'd like to support us um, uh, even more, then mouse suggests Patreon. Um, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash off the beat and track. Um, and over there, um, you can watch all the episodes. I put the videos up um, if you want to watch the, 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 the chats. And uh, as well as that, I put up radio shows, mixtapes, um, loads of upfront releases, ad-free. Um, and so um, the, the one big thing about uh, joining Patreon as well is I do a monthly live show where I pick a question from the podcast and then you know all the Patreons can then come along and feature on an episode, and and all we, we we sit down all over Zoom, and we have a lovely chat, and uh, and everybody brings their their records to the table, and uh, and it's a really non-judgy, friendly, lovely little pod now, and we do one of them a month as well, and so to get all of that stuff on Patreon, and most importantly support the podcast, it's going to cost you one dollar a month, um, so that's about seventy pence, because well times are tough at the moment, and yeah. And if you think you can spare 70p a month, then it goes in the pot to give you loads more content and to support this podcast. And uh, and I'll tell you the address one more time. It's off the beat and, not beaten, beatandtrackpodcast.com forward slash. No, hang on. That's the website. Patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track. Um, or you can just do the one-stop shop, which is www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com any one of those will direct you through to Patreon direct you through to merch and uh, all the different social media um, places you can follow us as well so that's your one stop shop which is the website right I've been wittering on for too long I need to get a guest on please enjoy today's episode of Off The Beat and Track Podcast with Lady Tron It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Give me Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Um, just got to Glasgow a couple of days ago. Um, we are rehearsing for our tour, which starts in about two weeks. Nice. Um, which will be the first gigs for for three years it, well, exactly three years actually we, we we were amongst the last gigs that were actually on in the country uh pre-first lockdown yeah um so yeah and and this is where this is where we ended we were actually recording in glasgow when the first lockdown came in and we had to abandon the sessions so we're yeah, it's, it's uh, a little bit eerie <laughs> to be in the same place as we were um but yeah, we start we start in, on the tenth uh, and play three shows: Glasgow, Liverpool, London. Lovely, lovely. Because you're not based in the UK anymore, is that right? No, um, two of the band are, but I'm in in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Lovely. I kind of split my time between the two, but but yeah. So yeah. where was you throughout lockdown, Sao Paulo? What did you say? Sorry? Where was you during lockdown? Oh uh, well, this is this is the thing. Um, 
when we were recording it was in the the engineer asked me um we were recording in mogwai studio in glasgow castle of doom and uh, the engineer tony asked me one day because he was following the news we weren't it was when all these things were getting um things were getting worse by the by the by the by the hour and no one really knew what was happening and um uh he asked me when i was leaving when i was flying back to brazil and i said actually um i delayed my ticket for an extra week because and this sounds incredibly <laughs> flippant um liverpool were about to win the league these things matter so, mate. <laughs> so i wanted to stay we we played everton on the monday and i wanted to be in town for that because <laughs> we 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 might, might have won the league i think that day and um and he was going, I'm not sure, mate, have you, have you not thought about leaving any earlier? You know, maybe tonight. <laughs> and it dawned on me and then it was like, okay, I, I've really got to get out or I might not get out at all. Yeah. Um, so then went back to Sao Paulo and I thought, well, oh, you know, we'll, um, you know, we'll carry on working at home and, you know, we'll have all this time on our hands and it'll be, it'll be really easy. But it wasn't because, um, personally i just it was like a paralysis because i personally i couldn't imagine it was that moment when you know either we were facing the apocalypse or it was the dawning of the age of aquarius yeah. right remember when everything was going to be better <laughs> this was somehow gonna uh improve our circumstances and so i just sat there in the sun uh drinking cold beers and did almost nothing for months because i couldn't imagine what world the album was going to be released into yeah it was very very hard to perceive at that time so eventually we got it together and and, and it finally came out almost three years three years after we started it um, but it's kind of it's kind of good because we insulated we insulated the album from the effect of the pandemic the emotional effect of it we were determined that we wouldn't um you know the songs were kind of written beforehand anyway yeah. uh but we were we were conscious that we we don't want to get involved because there was a lot of reflection of a lot of art a lot of writing a lot, even music made during it that that um documented it and we wanted to stay well away because we said as soon as this is over no one is going to want to think about this Absolutely. again it'll be a nice time capsule for the future maybe but um it's almost like we've put this record out and it's almost like the three three years never happened yeah yeah which is where how we prefer it daniel i'm gonna start your playlist um okay i want to ask you please to start things off the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro please um it, i mean there's no question for me it's sos by abba i don't i don't see why we would even pretend otherwise <laughs> um is that the greatest ever I mean, song as well? Uh, arguable, I, I think. I think it is. I mean, I, there's been times when I thought it was the best song, full stop, by yeah. anyone, um, which is which, which is a big shout. But um, it's the one. It's the ABBA song that, yeah, if it, if it comes on, it is the one that has the has the biggest effect. I mean, it, it, and that intro. If we're talking about the intro specifically, um, it has you by the heart already. And then that arpeggio takes your breath away. Yeah. 
Um, it, it, it's kind of, there's so much detail in that intro as well. We take it for granted because it's so familiar. Um, but it's almost like every time I hear it, I go, hold on. There's something else there that I hadn't actually noticed before. Um, but I was thinking, because, you know, when I was, I was, I was, I was making notes for this, I remembered that I was DJing on the, on the Millennium's Eve in Liverpool. So my final, so at like five minutes to, to midnight, I was like, what I'm putting, what I'm putting on, putting on. And it was, um, it had to be that. And it was just perfect. It was the most unifying. It's somehow, you remember all that paranoia about, you know, again, it was just this anxiety that the world was going to end at midnight, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, millennium, everything else. There was this real unease. And, uh, and that song, it was just this really joyous, unifying moment. It's actually probably my favorite moment as a, as a DJ that I remember. Um, yeah, it was perfect. I mean, it's kind of like, I remember in the in the in the nineties when there was a kind of new appreciation of Aber. Obviously, we grew up with it. Willie Razor dropped the Aberesque EP, didn't they, on the turn of, of the nineties? And obviously, SOS was on that as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's kind of Erasure got it because it was what was that film? Is it Muriel's Wedding? Yeah. So there was a kind of there was a kind of ironic, jokey appreciation of Aber before that. But I, I feel like I always listened to them very seriously. I never, I never got saw any irony in it, or there was any never any knowingness. Obviously, I think people. This is how people listen to them now. It's a lot more, uh, a lot more serious. Um, I remember that um, that scene in the trip with uh, Rob Brydon and, and and Steve Coogan talking about. Um, oh, what song is it? Uh, they're talking ex extremely seriously about an ABBA song, yeah. uh, the winner takes it all. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that sort of summed it up for me. It's like the, the, the appreciation for it is genuine and very serious. I think, I think now, but there was a moment when it was all, all a bit of a joke. Yeah, I, I think, you know, growing up and, and my parents having like ABBA records and, and probably being, like I'm, I'm just approaching fifty and and catching like Super Trooper and the the, the sort of later stuff. I got sort of memories of of that being in the charts and stuff. And then it did. Mm -hmm. You're you're right. It did become like kind of family party tunes that that were just a little bit kind of, sort of laughed about. And it, I think it's just with time that you you actually start to go. Well, hang on a minute. How many bands have got this amount of killer pop gems? Like because mm -hmm. it's not easy to write a song like that, is it? And they've got shed loads of them. And yeah, and I think I think that obviously Aberesque went straight to number one. Uh, I think it was Erasure's only ever number one. And and then if I remember rightly, Dancing Queen then got reissued, and and mm -hmm. Dancing Queen come out as a single, and then that spurred the kind of Bjorn again, who were just every music festival, everybody would go and watch Bjorn again at festivals. Oh, yeah. And I think it just kind of, and obviously now it's it's ridiculous. Everybody, you know, adores this band. And have you got along to the the, the show yet? What did you say? Sorry. Have you got along to the immersive show yet? No, actually, no. Uh, I haven't. As, as some friends have. I was just thinking. I just remembered something else when you mentioned um, you mentioned Dancing Queen and 
this was another this was another um pre-pandemic story that on our final day in the studio uh when we decided you know what i think we should just get out of here with this is you know this is not safe um i left the studio and helen picked me up in 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 her car and it was kind of you know maybe about six o'clock it was dark um and i got in the car and um and dancing queen was on the radio and there was just this eerie this eerie moment when neither of us were talking to each other and we were driving we were just going for like one last drink somewhere and after after about a minute or so i was like are you getting that and she's like yeah <laughs> it was basically we were in the first couple of minutes of the movie yeah right we were in the first couple of minutes of the movie and no one really knows what's going to happen and you know and, and uh we were both getting the same thing from it um so so yeah it's i mean they're just magnificent as you say it's uh it's, it's but as, as intros go i didn't have any doubt yeah. uh about I mean, my choice there dancing queen some intro as well yeah <laughs> uh, straight from the angel eyes what a what an intro and and uh, in my opinion the greatest chorus ever written um <laughs> right okay track two tell me please daniel the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you so we're talking about a similar similar era as well um it's heart of glass by blondie um now i say emotional emotional impact it, it was in, in in the sense of it was the first time i heard a record and i felt like i understood what it was doing what it was trying to do in 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 a sense that that i understood what it was i understood how adults related to it um in at least in terms of what i could perceive about it um what it was conveying its poise its atmosphere um like some kind of adult understanding uh a little trigger of maturity um so i mean we were so spoiled at that time i mean i'm thinking i thought of other things i thought of ghost town yeah. um don't you want me even come on eileen you know yeah uh and i was a massive duran duran fan they were they were the first band i was completely obsessed with and had every record but blondie came before all that um and specifically heart of glass i don't know it was just like it, it coming on maybe i was with my you know my my you know my mother's friends or something like that I was, you know, I was very young and just i don't know just understanding it in some on some level that i, I mean i've obviously heard a lot of pop music before that um i noted that you had susie quattro on uh she was she was a, a formative influence um but yeah blondie heart of glass was the one that i went i, I thought i got it it's, uh, it's, uh, and, and I think, you know, as a young lad as well, seeing Debbie Harry as well and hearing and seeing Blondie, it was, mm-hmm. it was everything, wasn't it? It was like, oh my God, this, this is arguably the coolest person on the planet right now. And, yeah. You know, she, and there's, go on. there's people who come along. There's, I, I guess in, in, with her as well, there's, there's certain people come along that when, especially when you're, when you're growing up, they are, they embody modernity on in in some way yeah and debbie was one of those yeah absolutely where where was growing up daniel 
Liverpool. Um, fun, well, mem- actually, fun memories of that? Yeah, I, I mean, I was born in Liverpool, but I actually grew up over the water and uh, on the Wirral and... and and um, I kind of, I was desperate to get out when I was a teenager, of course, but I now kind of think it, it might be perfect, <laughs> which is probably the most uh, uh, middle-class, middle-aged things, thing I've ever said. But, um, but yeah, it, it was, it was, it was good to grow up there. It was, it was, and you had the city right there. I mean, there wasn't a lot going on. Um, the world produces a lot of music and a lot of artists, a lot of actors, um, politicians. It, it produces a hell of a lot, but there's not um, music-wise. There was there was not really a lot there, um, or not there was almost nothing. There was no venues or anything like that. So um, Liverpool was the big city. Liverpool was was like going to New York for us. Um, <laughs> Aside from the obvious legends of Liverpool, um, as somebody that's you know carved out a career making you know electronic music, how 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 much influence was there in that kind of Eric scene? You know the likes of OMD and 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 bands coming through at that point. Like, does that sort of because it never really gets spoken about in the way that like you know, the, the Mersey beat does and, and, and the stuff that was happening there. How much sort of influence and, and, and did you sort of look back at, at, at them times? Well, to be honest, I, when, when I, I started going out um, and, and getting into the music scene, it was probably, um, it was actually the tail end of the Eric's thing. Even oh, though it was okay. like, the, even though it was the early 90s, it was the people I was meeting, the people with there, they were all veterans of Eric's, you know, um, you know, they might've been then they were in their late twenties or, um, early thirties maybe, but they were the people that had the biggest influence on me. And, and, and I had more affinity with that, that scene, um, than anything that was going on in Liverpool at that actual moment that was, um, there was a lot of guitar bands in Liverpool, of course, and some really good ones. Um, but I felt more connected to, to Eric's, even though I was too young for it um, to have actually been there in terms of that scene socially um, and musically. It was still it was still all in place. Yeah. They were the people who were introducing me to new records and um, that I was learning from. Uh, organically you know um so definitely and obviously the records i mean looking looking back i mean you know teardrop explodes and the bunny man um pink industry um jane casey man i actually ended up joining that band uh they reformed for the first gig in i think 25 the first gig since 1987 or something like that about 10 years ago and it was in sao paulo it was before i moved there but um it was really interesting because pink industry were disproportionately massive in sao paulo i mean sao paulo the state it's 55 million people it's you know it's a population of a european country the city is about 20 million people the whole metropolitan area so if you get a couple of radio djs that are really into you there you you know it's it's equivalent to being to being big in you know a european country and um so they kept getting 
messages going, please come and play in, come and play in, uh, in Sao Paulo. And I got talking to Jane about it because we'd become, you know, good friends. And she was like, should we just do it? It's <laughs> like, so I, they hadn't seen their guitarist since 1987. So, I, so I stepped into his, his place. They had no idea where he was or where he'd gone. Uh, so we played just one, one off show. Um, I think like 2012 or so. Um, so that's my, uh, my actual connection to Eric's is there in my, in my associate membership of, pink industry that's wonderful and and aside from um th- those kind of influences and exposure to, to to bands and music was was there records on at home growing up yeah um i've got i was um the youngest of 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 four uh kids and the my, my sisters and brother were quite a lot older than me there was like seven years between me and my brother so they had a lot of music um a lot of things i remember now um um i mean the, i mean the, the the obvious ones the the big ones i mean one of my sisters was really into heaven 17 for example yeah um i would have i would have discovered a lot of music through them even even stuff um maybe slightly less uh, uh slightly less obvious um I mean, my brother, I, I remember my brother telling me or showing me something by Colorbox um, and Duel by Propaganda as well, which is one of my favorites at the time. What, um, what a single that is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of it came from siblings, but also um, a lot from my, from my dad. Uh, he had a lot of... Um, uh just music on in the car yeah um one of which I, I, I very very i think underrated in terms of uh in some senses uh billy joel <laughs> billy joel actually I, I mean i i grew up with it and um pre obviously pre pre uptown girl we're talking about piano man or whatever yeah so I've been known to sing piano man at karaoke at times <laughs> if I've had enough to drink. <laughs> okay. Well, look, let's, let's keep it in the formative years. And, and for track three, I'm going to ask you to tell me about the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, Daniel. Okay. So my first thought was um, always on my mind by the Pet Shop Boys. Mm. Uh, um, that... Uh, that stood out um as a, as a as a moment there was a purity and perfection to pet shop boys it, it seemed absolutely of its time then it maybe if i was 5 years older i would have seen context and it wouldn't wouldn't have seen seems quite so um so perfect um but it was like there's this moment before um the dark clouds of adolescence descend um, and you're not looking for alternatives. I, I think, so there's a cliche that in believing that the, the music that came out when you were 16 is the, is the, is a cultural high point and it's just the best music ever made. And I think some of us have to be right. Yeah. <laughs> By necessity, some of us must be correct about that. But what I'm describing more is 
when you're say 12 13 and the extent of your understanding of of music culture and actual modernity converge you're not looking outside the box it's just this is this is what i know and this is absolutely perfect within the 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 parameters of what i know and i think so that psb one was stood out in that way but then i was thinking um it wouldn't have been that long after that uh but you know how it felt you know like six months was a completely different epoch um i got into the primitives and they were probably the original bridge between the music I was into as a child and the music I ended up making. Yeah. It was probably the primitives were that breakthrough point because they were a bridge to uh, indie music for me. Um, all these other bands I got into, Shoegaze, um, you know, I was a huge fan of Lush, for example. Primitives was probably the point. I think I was actually even I was even into the primitives before before I'd even listened to the Smiths or anything like that. Yeah. Um so aside from the from the Liverpool stuff that I always felt it always felt kind of separate, the bunny men and everything. I didn't I didn't think of that in the same realm of um indie music nationally. Yeah. I saw it as something you know uniquely uh local so yeah primitives uh way behind me um is the one that 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 reminds me of that moment when i was just becoming more conscious and more aware and i was and i was looking to um find my own yeah my own way Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because like, I, I think um, I think Primitive's done some shows a couple of years ago. I think they got back together and done a few shows. Um but just talking about the Pet Shop Boys and, 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 you know, just before you start to kind of 
maybe dig a little deeper into into music and that that was directed i guess as you said by by the premier you can go back to that moment around the time that actually come out by the pet shop boys that's around mm-hmm. the time that i guess might have been just maybe just ahead of violator coming out and maybe music for the masses and and around the time mm-hmm. of wild and uh innocence and stuff like that that's a absolute sweet spot of yeah. British synth pop. Did, 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 mm-hmm. did, can you draw from that now and see how much that maybe influenced you at that point? Yeah, I think there's two. I think there's two threads of uh, of influence on 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 my music. The synth pop stuff was always there. Uh, I think in terms of uh, songwriting and and ideas, and there was always more. There was always more to Lady Tron, but more more diverse things went into the dish that we sp- sprang from sure. than was often understood about us. Um, so when we when we first started, it was um, we were misinterpreted as like a, a, just a straight up early eighties band or something. Yeah. It wasn't really wasn't really where we were coming from, um, even though the, the, the that influence was there. Um, we were coming from in terms of uh yeah of course yeah, of course Depeche Mode I mean yeah Violator we talk about uh you know records or moments somehow just defining modernity yeah. at a certain moment and Violator is certainly one of those it's almost that record was almost I don't know I, I didn't even see it as um even in competition with the other records around it, it just seemed some monolithic thing uh, that everything else, everything else I was into at the time was um, was just hanging around at the bottom, and you had, you had violators just going on. That's just like the weather, you know. That's um, but yeah, those. But we via I think the the you know all those. Um, you know, in terms of the synth side of things, we, um, I bought so many synthesizers and whatnot, really, really cheap. And I had like a room full of them even before the band started. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily like a, a fetish about the equipment. It was just because they were cheap and, um, they weren't useful until the band started, you know, yeah. but I, but I, I'd, I'd had them, um, you know, I bought them because they were they were familiar. You know, there were there were things that I'd I'd, I'd seen um, bands playing with on top of the pop since I was a kid. Um, but but getting from there to where where Lady Tron actually started, you've got bands like Stereolab. I mean, we we came from it was that kind of underground lo-fi um, scene and attitude that we came from. Um, Stereolab broadcast. Add N to X. So by the time I think over time people understood us more, but there was a there was a point where people were expecting us to be the human league, and we we, we yeah, weren't, yeah. even though I I loved them. Yeah, people need to talk about Add N to X a little bit more because they, they oh, seem yeah. to have just they don't get talked about as much anymore. And fuck me, what a band they were! Um, yeah, metal metal fingers, metal oh, fingers in, in my body. I, I'll I'll play that if I still DJ at any at any point. I'll I'll always play that. Yeah, so good, so good. Um, 
so to talk a little bit more about where where I mean what come first in regards to playing as 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 a young lad was you, you mentioned buying sort of cheap simps and stuff like that but then mm-hmm. you, you touched on the fact that the primitive then introduced you to, into you know stuff like I imagine sort of stereo lab and the shoegaze stuff and all the other stuff that was happening in the early 90s yeah was it then I'm going to pick up a guitar yeah, I, I alternated between, yeah, I, I guess I, I had keyboards until I think it was like late 80s. I was probably about 15, 16 before I got my first guitar. Um, but I always saw it. There was always like a chain of effects pedals. So I never saw the that much of a difference between uh, the synths and the guitar, because yeah. I understood that this was the same thing. You know, you've got the modulators and the filters and everything else. It's um, so I didn't see them as as particularly separate. Um, so, but but this was at one point. I remember it was at one point. I remember it was actually quite exotic to have a keyboard, even even one keyboard in a band. At one point, it was there was a very. It wasn't. It wasn't necessarily. Um, it wasn't a conservatism in music. I think it was just a backlash against the eighties and the aesthetics of it um, for a while. And it became, it was, it was a while before things become palatable again, just like we were talking about, you know, this, this uh, rediscovery of ABBA sure. as serious music. <laughs> um, I guess it was, so we, so then we came along with just keyboards and uh, I remember there was one of the early singles got reviewed by 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 some rock band, I don't know, Naldi Maker or something, had like guest reviewers, whatever. And they were like, I, I don't know, it just it doesn't sound right. It really needs something like a loud guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so and then and, and to be honest, and then but the records did have guitars on them. It was subtly, they always did. Um and then when um so at one point I decided I was going to play play guitar live or at least on 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 some of the songs and it was like um to some of the some of the audience it was like Dylan had gone electric you know I I betrayed <laughs> I betrayed Sinspot by picking up this guitar <laughs> Oh wonderful wonderful Um tell me about the first song you remember buying from a record shop Okay, so uh, 99 Red Balloons by Nana. So that's a cracker, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, if you think about how, how where things ended up with, you know, uh, the band I ended up, I mean, you know, you could probably see the writing, writing on the wall in <laughs> 1982, whenever it was, 1983. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, know what, what, I don't know what else there is to say about that apart from, yeah, it was, um, I can't actually remember what year it was. I think 83 or it might have even been 84. I'm going to say 83. Okay. But it was, it was part, there was a, there was quite a few records with that um, inherent Cold War paranoia, the, the threat of, 
threat of nuclear war, wasn't there? That was that was probably the biggest one. Two tribes by Frank goes oh, Hollywood. That, that opening of two tribes used to terrify me as a kid. Just thinking <laughs> because you know the, the enormity of what we was being exposed to on the news, and yeah. that you know that, that someone was going to press a button and your mum and dad were going to die, and it was like, oh my god. And then well, we- I was already freaked out by Frankie goes to Hollywood anyway. Relax had kind of jarred <laughs> me, and then like all of a sudden they're talking about bombs going off. It was oh my god. Uh. They, they were such frankie was such a source of, of pride in liverpool i remember yeah. just feeling like liverpool owned owned the world at that point yeah um but yeah when those sirens going off though i remember <sighs> you know because because they would go off if you had if you lived near a factory you know those sirens you would hear those sirens all the time and then every day it was like, hold on, is this it? Is this it? <laughs> Quick, under the table. Intact and survive. It was it was odd though, isn't it, to grow up with with that with that threat? I mean, it, it you know our generation, it must have you know it must have had a had a, a tremendous effect on us. And I remember just realizing that it what I mean, this was a you know maybe an an, illu- an illusion, but uh, I remember at one point just dawning on me that that threat didn't exist anymore maybe it does again now yeah, but i remember like 20 years ago or 30 years ago hold on it's like hold on we can can we chill out now yeah. are we not are not about to be incinerated i can enjoy two tribes now <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay all right well let's go clubbing tell me for track five please daniel the song that soundtrack your years clubbing so um so my years clubbing were not typical because um aside from the first few years of going out um so in liverpool i think the first uh club i actually went to when i wasn't quite old enough was was the cavern which on a saturday night was just a regular club night it played the music that was out at that time which happened to be uh happened to be good you know you could you go a place like that and they're, they're playing delight records and whatever yeah. um but after that I, by the time i was 18 19 i was resident dj um at a couple of parties so i'd almost like I, i'd stopped clubbing you know I, I was always the dj um so if i was going to choose something it would be from those first few years um before I started doing my own parties. So you're talking about late 1991. Um, and the one that sticks out is The Storm by World of Twist. What a tune. I mean, there were there were so many good records at that moment. It's actually, I, I kind of, I promised my friend in, in Sao Paulo that I was going to make a Spotify playlist for her um, of these mixtapes that I used to, used to make around then that had a lot of records that were very very similar but there was this kind of it was like this post baggy pre-shoegaze atmospheric it was, it was that were danceable records with a very kind of autumnal mood to them and but the, that one really stands out the storm really stands out because it sounded very different to the others and and i, I was thinking about it and was like, this was very influential on me um i mean it was probably sometimes a struggle to get the DJ to to actually play it. Yeah. Um, and then, so what did I do? I started a party that played it every week. 
and that's how it works, right? Yeah, Daniel, that's 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 exactly what I done. Uh, I, that <laughs> year, I started my own clubs. I've, there's there's a place in Essex where I work, and um, and I've been there since 1990, and it's kind of it's Essex's Eric's. It used to be called Crocs. It's called the Pink Toothbrush now, and 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 I've I've been there for 30 years and and it was that and that's why i want to talk about this a little bit more because that sweet spot there of music post baggy like post post manchester pre-grunge like that's the lost years and and that's that's the stuff that never gets talked about in the documentaries it always skips that era and goes straight to, to to grunge and Britpop, and it ignores that that 91 92 when there was some absolutely incredible music being made, and there was English bands yeah. like EMF and Jesus Jones having number ones in America, yeah, that Oasis never had, and that the Stone Roses never had, and and it's it's crazy. It just gets completely ignored, you know, and and I find that really really strange. And and you you talk about World of Twist like that. The Storm is a phenomenal record, as is their amazing cover of uh, She's Like a Rainbow, which oh, yeah. was uh, a big club banger down, down, down south for us. Uh, and, and am I right in saying one of them went on to form El Brutus? Yes. Well, uh, uh, two of them, actually, yeah. 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 Um, and El Brutus, they were, you know, there's a band. <laughs> yeah. I was like, El, El Brutus, it was kind of the point that... that um, it was a band that all, all your mates liked. Yeah, <laughs> all your mates liked. And I was like, I'm not sure how big this band's gonna get. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, but well, we all like it. We all like <laughs> it. But does anyone else like it outside this table? Um, <laughs> so good. Talk, um, talk yeah, that's. Through- just, I think that scene, the moment that you're talking about, it doesn't have a name either. Yeah. What was on that, the mix that moment? Yeah, oh exactly. I was I wish I had these mixtapes still, but I suppose the band the band that actually made it uh out of that moment is Blur. Yeah. The, the first Blur sing- single, both sides of it, that she's so high and I know. So if I was going to make a D, de- I wasn't DJing at that point, but if I was going to make a DJ set, a perfect DJ set at that point, I know by Blur would be on it. Yeah. Certainly. And but it just doesn't have a name. Yeah. Um and there was obviously some there was some some of what what ended up become you know being called shoegaze or whatever uh was in there as well um falling down by chapter house oh was, i was thought abandoned. when i first heard um what was the death in vegas single dirt or dirge dirt. and i was like have they sampled that that wow 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 at the beginning of it i'm like that sounds like Falling Down by Chapter House. I'm sure they'd nicked it. I don't know if they did or not, but, oh, Falling Down or Pearl. Oh, oh yeah. Pearl. What record. Again, a band that doesn't get, to, doesn't get talked about, um, you know, they, they... So I think that that, that, that moment is, is lost because, as you say, it's, you know, there was Shoegaze, this has a name, this has some definitive records to it, Um Baggy does that. That actual moment didn't have um, didn't have a name, and I think um, when when those th- those scenes or movements are inchoate like this, is when they're at the most interesting. Mm, um, I said this. I said the same thing about 
because we got we got um I mean, we didn't just get associated with it. We got stuck on front covers as if we were the ambassadors of Electra Clash. Mm. And we were always kind of hesitant going, hold on, we didn't, we didn't sign up to this. You know, who do you get in touch with? You know, <laughs> we, we, did, we didn't actually agree. And, uh, and everyone's like, no, don't worry about it. It's great publicity. And it was like, well, it's great publicity until the ship goes down. Yeah. Um, but, I think that I, I explained to someone else in another interview recently that that moment prior to when they started calling it this, so prior to 2002, um, when we first started, 99, 2000, 2001, there was this kind of vague nebulous scene with, 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 you know, fellow travelers that we would meet. You know, if we went to play in Berlin, we would meet, um, Gene's team or consoler or be, and every every country had its own artists that we were all doing something similar at least related and that I remember that part being really exciting and new and fresh but as soon as as soon as someone had a name for it and it all became about money it just became ostentatious and and super capitalist and um, and kind of horrible so that's why we that's why we spent um it's re- it was really only uh, it became a bit of a running joke that 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 we every interview we did would contain some kind of denial that we were anything to do with Electric Clash, right? Yeah. Um, but it was really because all those interviews were done in about a two week period yeah, <laughs> when yeah, it was yeah. the first. Well, it was the first time we'd got to talk about it, and that we were being asked about it every time. So we were driven crazy. But that moment before they they tried to come up with a name, before they tried to commodify all of our work, um, was super exciting and fresh. Um, I think about this record in particular, um, um, Tocatronic versus Consola Freiburg two point zero. Um, that for me is 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 where we were um that was the re- that was the soundtrack of the first like european tour we did yeah um and you know people were coming out there was so many like miss kitten and everyone else was coming out and they were all part of that and nobody felt comfortable with with being labeled as this one monolithic scene by basically people in new york um so it was a similar thing with yeah. It was like nobody wanted to be shoegaze. No one wanted. To, no one wanted to be part of the scene that celebrates itself. Yeah. Uh, everyone wanted out. Um, and to be honest, when that was going on, we were working with. Um, I became friends with Emma Anderson from Lush, and she was she was working with our management at that point. And I, I talked to her a lot about this. She was like, "Yeah, you've got to avoid avoid getting pulled down with that because yeah. they'd experienced it." And they said that also, when you're inside the band, it, it's almost impossible to perceive how it looks outside. Yeah. So you have to be wary about that as well. So I digress, but but um, but yeah. So this this sweet spot of of um, of, of 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 late ninety ninety one. I mean, do we want a name for it, or do we prefer to protect and preserve it by it not being codified in such a way? I I I, I get more joy out of it not having some kind of tag on it but <laughs> when somebody mentions it like you as you did when you mentioned chapter house it makes me beam and it makes me want to talk <laughs> more about it and so i like that i don't get that now when you know people want to talk about Britpop and want to talk about 
I, I guess all of the bands that actually distance themselves from the word Britpop as well. But like, I, I don't get that. But that little sweet spot there, and maybe that's because it was the music that you said, you know, the music that you listened to when you're 16, 17 or whatever, that was yeah. the music that was that was soundtracking them years for me. And it, and, and it sticks with me, I guess. But uh, yeah. Right, well, look, I'm going to take you home now. And for track six, uh, I'd like you to tell me your favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Right. Um, there is, there's been a lot of, um, there were a lot of easy options. Okay. You can shout some more. Dis- huh? You can have some honourable mentions. Sorry a second. Uh, no, thanks. Sorry, housekeeping. I'm in a hotel. Why <laughs> <Bye>, thanks? <laughs> All right, I'll start again with that. Okay. So there's there are many easy options from the the more distant past. I could choose, especially uh, coming from where where I come from and its history. But um, there's a band that I think I don't know. I felt like they were going to go on to great things and that they faded early um and they're friends of mine and I, it's not like i've ever sat down and talked about why this happened they they went on to do other things but um they opened for us um when we before we took a break we took like a, a seven year break from from like the end of 2011 um and they opened for us then and i, I just really felt like they were gonna they were gonna go on um and then it, it 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 i think they made they made two records um and i just i just have the impression that they were a band that um were too good for the moment they were born into you know i i just feel like if if they'd come in at a different moment uh i think we would still be talking about them now sure. and that's outfit yeah uh and the song is I want what's best, and when when that when that came out, I thought, okay, that they, they've done it now, they've cracked it. This is gonna, this is gonna go. And I think they 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 had you know some some reasonable success, but I I expected you know them still to be releasing records today. And I think I think part of it was I don't know maybe um, other things behind the scenes we don't know about, but um, yeah, I, I'd say in their case um, they were too good for their time. So bringing things up to, to speed before we get to the the, the last track, um, bands back together, new music, new gigs. Like what else is what else is to be expected? Are, are you going to sort of dabble in the festival circuit? Like what what can what can people expect from uh, from the future of Lady Drum? Yeah, there's um, there's so we, at the first festival we're doing is just like heaven in. Um, in Pasadena, California, in in May, and then there's a few, yeah, there's a few more festivals, kind of being in the process of 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 being announced. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, you know, we take it relatively easy with with shows. We we keep it keep it comfortable. Um. We're obviously spread around, and we've got. Um. Uh, complicated lives as well but so the the days of us disappearing on a on a on a tour bus for three months are are long gone yeah um we like to keep like to keep the coat the shows special and um 
uncomfortable for us. So this, even though I understand it's like, you know, people go, oh, you're only playing in, you're only playing in London, you're only playing in, in Glasgow, whatever. It's just, this is the, this is the limit of what we can, what we can do yeah. comfortably. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, there'll be, yeah, there's just more, more things. There's a couple of, uh, bits and pieces, um, unreleased from, from the album um that might see the light of day later in the year um and remixes and things like that um and we've got these shows and uh i'm kind of dying to get on with a new record to be honest uh already because <laughs> i mean it was it was ready um it was ready a year ago um so it it, it probably was released a little bit later than than it could have been um but yeah we're 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 dying to 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 get on with some new music now as well is it written and um, demoed remotely like is it, because obviously you said you're spread around like how, what's the writing process how does it work it it's it depends from from track to track someone will someone will come up with a track it'll be sent around you know um material you know tends to coalesce you know out of a pool of material the stuff that that's going to fit together on an album tends to coalesce quite naturally uh and then there's usually a process at the end where we get together and we work on the tracks in the studio together um uh so there's you know at the beginning the very beginning there'll be a lot of writing remotely and um and then you get together i mean that's kind of normal i guess it's not really uh i always say it's not really any different to living uh in a different city within the uk as it is to live in abroad where we'd be working in the same way because the band never really, the, we never really lived in the same place to begin with. I mean, at the very beginning, three of us did. And, and soon that was two and then three lived in London at one point. Um, and I was living in Italy from, for basically the third and fourth albums. Yeah. Uh, um, so it's never really been a problem. It's just that the, that the pandemic made it incredibly difficult. All these things that we just took for granted, these ways of working, suddenly became challenging if not impossible yeah um i came back at one point um to record i came back to scotland to record some vocals with helen and um and at that point I, i'd been kind of lured into a false sense of security because i'd been back in in, in liverpool which was which had been semi-open it was a little little oasis um and and I was like, "Oh, this all looks fine. Then I'll just come back and um, and in, and go to Glasgow at the end of the year." And I ended up being trapped for a month because Brazil um, closed the closed flights and passengers from the UK. So, um, so that was the, that wasn't wasn't a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so the, the the process hasn't changed that much. It just became uh, a lot more difficult. Uh, for those two years, yeah, and and as I say, but I I don't think that was the main main um, cause of the delay. Uh, one was just like release schedule, as I say, just like mundane stuff. Um, but I, I I always think if someone asked me in in the future, you know what what it was like, I always come back to the original thing I said was not knowing what world the record was going to be released into, yeah, and yeah. therefore not being able to write it. Okay, last track. And uh, you can be tastemaker now, mate. Um, All right, okay. I want the favourite song. Uh, I want you to tell me a song that you think our listeners may not know that you would like them to hear. 
Right. Okay. So I, I thought about various things, and then and then and then I thought it'd be interesting to put one of uh, my productions for some another artist in here, um, rather than just some rare groove. Um, so it's uh, as Anders, which means the waves in Portuguese by Leah Paris, uh, a Sao Paulo artist who I've done um, a fair bit of music with now. Um, I met her through a, a visual artist called a friend of mine, Stefan Dojcikov. Um, and I was collaborating with him on this like satirical project called Culto do Futuro, or Cult of the Future. And uh, I was kind of recruited to it. Um, and they used to do these like striking little interventions in cities, not just in Brazil. They did it, they'd done it in Europe as well. And these little marches of these people with these like cartoonish military-ish uniforms with these demonic masks. And, um, and you know, someone would have a drum, you know, Igor Cavalera from, from Sepultura was, was, was the drummer one, one day, you know, but he's got a mask on, no one recognizes him. And, um, passersby would be freaked out. They'd be confused and, and frightened by it. And, um, and they were supposed to be, you know, it was prophetic yeah. about what was happening and about to happen in Brazil at that point. Um, so Leah sang on, they had like a hymn, they had their own hymn. And Leah sang on that, which I helped produce. And then we hit it off. And, and so we started making music for her. And it was just before we started, it was about 2015. So it was just, just at the point where we were starting to get together material for the latest one album we released in yeah. 2019, the self-titled one. So you can actually hear some, some similarities in the production. An arrangement, not necessarily on this track particularly, but on the rest of the EP overall. Um, now, Leah is 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 a is a one off. She's a a very special soul. Um, I mean, I always remember I arranged to meet her just when we started working together. I arranged to meet her just to talk very kind of mundane logistics of the work we were doing together and in this cafe in one afternoon and she just showed up painted silver <laughs> just like casually just painted so <laughs> i just didn't say anything about it you know <laughs> like it's totally normal <laughs> just that yeah just not let's just, just not talk about it um so we had this we had this meeting with her painted silver um so yeah i wanted after i should say i've done i think five tracks of uh with her, I did that EP, which this was the lead track of the EP, and then I did the album closer on a on a last album, Multiverso, as well. And we'll probably do something uh, something else in the future. So I thought this might be interesting. It's interesting for people to hear who probably haven't um, who who know about my work with Lady Tron. Wonderful. We make it easy for people to go and explore that and. Uh, all the other tracks that we've spoken about today because we put together a little Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast so people can go and listen to all that. And, of course, we'll put uh, Lady Tron's music on there um, as well. Um, Daniel, it's been a real joy uh, having a natter about music with you. Thank you so much. You too, man. Yeah, it's been a great laugh. Cheers, Wonderful. Too. Thanks, Daniel. I'm going to press stop. Don't go anywhere. Oh, what a lovely chat. Could have chatted ages and ages with uh, with Daniel what a top lad 
Um, hope you enjoyed that. Um, really interesting. Um, I can't help but feel that like, I drew a few parallels in regards to kind of going to them early clubs and then just at a very young age getting stuck into putting on parties and then finding yourselves in clubs in the early 90s cutting your teeth as a as an indie dj and yeah that that was me too and uh so it was nice to kind of have that little moment where we got to reminisce about some some little gems tunes from from back there you know i love that um Yep, so um, I'll tag Ladytron in all of the posts um, that you're going to see on the socials. So if you don't follow them already, go and do that. Go check out the new music. Uh, head over to Spotify and check out the Ladytron uh, Off The Beat and Track podcast um, playlist, which will have, obviously, all the tracks that we've spoken about today and a load of Ladytron bangers as well. Um, I'm back next time. In the meantime, um, be nice to each other. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>